All right, all right. All right, all right. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll be at this morning. Genesis chapter 1. We've been talking about for the past few weeks this idea of closing the gap between what we believe on paper, what our doctrinal statements say, the things that we, as we read the Bible, we say we believe these things and how that actually is lived out in practice. And so we want to say, okay, we, we do believe this, and, but then we want to say, okay, how do, how do we live that out? We want to close the gap so that we're actually doing that. You know, we don't carry... Uh, Many of us in this room don't carry much money, physical money, anymore. Uh, anytime I go somewhere and it says cash only, I'm like, well, I don't know what to do for you. I, I got nothing. Can I use my phone? Right? And so a lot of us are paying with our phones or, or a credit card of some sort. Or uh, maybe a few of you still use these things called checks. And so we don't use a lot of actual real money anymore. Some of us do. Some of you. I've got a friend in this room who every time we go to the movies and I buy his ticket, he has to pay me in cash. I'm like, what is this? And so we don't use a lot, but some of you do. So I, I want to ask, I want to play a little game. And we'll kind of see who wins, right or left, whoever yells it out the fastest. Ryan, you can't play because we already played earlier today. So whose image is on said money? So here we go. Whose image is on the penny? Ooh, I think this side got it. Whose image is on the nickel? Oh, this side. Whose image is on the quarter? Y'all better pick it up over here. Okay, you're losing. <laughs> All right, right. whose image is on the $100 bill? Oh, okay, we got it over here. Whose image is on the $50 bill? Oh, that was middle. Whose image is on the $10 bill? Uh, I almost started singing a Hamilton song. I really had to hold that back. All right, filter caught that. Uh, Whose image is on the $20 bill? Oh, all right, all right. (laughs) Okay, tough one. Whose image is on the $2 bill? Oh, Jefferson. Santa Claus. <laughs> All right, now if you can get this, I'm going to be really impressed. Whose image was originally on the 50 cent piece? It is currently Kennedy, but originally it was not Lincoln, not Roosevelt, not Eisenhower. No. <laughs> It was Lady Liberty, Lady Liberty, and then it, for a long time, and then it was Ben Franklin, and then now it's John F. Kennedy. When we see money, we are reminded of the one on whose image it bears. But this morning, we are going to talk about something much more important than Alexander Hamilton or whoever else image is on money. We want to talk about whose image you bear, what image appears on you. Two weeks ago, we talked about the doctrine of creation, and we talked about how our origin stories mattered, and so we talked about there are these two different competing stories, two narratives, one that says we're a cosmic accident and all of life is random and that humanity climbed its way out of the primordial ooze, we learned to throw off our gills and grow nostrils, we learned to grow opposable thumbs, and we are the surviving reigning champions of survival of the fittest, and if that is the case, and all of life is about power and how much you can get, and everything really becomes meaningless, purposeless, and pointless. 
There's no morality, no truth, and everything is empty. But if our origin story was in the beginning God created, in the beginning God designed, then we have purpose, we have meaning, there is right and wrong, there is a destination and a point to all of this. My suffering, my pain, and all those things matter. This week, we're going to kind of take the next logical step in that argument, because there is more to this reality, to this point, than if we were just created, but not just created, but created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, the more significant reality is not that we are just created by God, but that we above everything else and despite everything else are created in the image of God. Theologians use the Latin phrase, which many of you have probably heard before, that we are created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So when you hear me say Imago Dei, that's what that means. Now the question is, what is the significance of this? What is the significance that we bear the image of God? Well, it means that we are a reflection of who God is. It means that his nature, his attributes, his character, his being, all of these different kinds of things are reflected in us. It means that we're kind of like the moon. The moon has no light of its own, but reflects the light of the sun. We are not our own. We are not our own image. We reflect the glory of another. It is like hanging a picture in your home of a loved one. Every time you see that picture, you are not reminded of the picture itself, but to the one the picture images. You see, you hang a picture of your grandparents in your home, and when you see it, you are not reminded of that picture. You are reminded of your grandparents themselves, the one the the picture images. And every time you see a person, you are reminded or should be reminded of God, the one in whom we image. Because we are created in his image. What it means for us to image God is certainly not our physical appearance. Uh, God is spirit. He has no physical form. Jesus, though he takes on flesh 2,000 years ago, before that, he was spirit. And so God did not have fingers and toes. And so perhaps our imaging God is more to do with our ability to reason or our ability to know right from wrong or perhaps it is our need for relationships and community as we're made in the image of a God who is himself in the Trinity community as we talked about a few weeks ago. There are lots of ways and lots of speculation about how we image God but what I really want to kind of drill into is what does the fact that we do image God mean for us? What does this doctrine that we're creating God's image mean for us? Well, it certainly means that there is a difference between us and the animals, that there's a fundamental difference between humans and animals, that humans alone are created in the image of God, that humans are the crown jewel, if you will, of creation, the one and only creature on whose image God bestows. And every day of creation, God makes something and he says it's good. He makes the animals, it's good. He makes the seas, it's good. He makes the sun, it's good. But only after he creates humanity does he look and say it is very good. The fact that we are created in God's image has ramifications for how we think about, interact with, 
think, about, think on humans and our interactions in the world. The number one takeaway from our being created in the image of God is that there are no ordinary people. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. You have never met a mere mortal. You see, when God creates millions of different things, when he's created atoms and electrons and protons and suns and stars and planets and galaxies and rivers, and he's created all of these things and all these animals, and only one thing in the entire cosmos gets his image. It means you are anything but ordinary. It means people, all of which bear God's image, have value, dignity, and worth. That's really where we're going to focus on, these three ideas. That being an image bearer of God, being someone created in the Imago Dei, means that just by your very existence, you have value, you have dignity, and you have worth. Value means that you're important. That means you're important to the creator, important in the story of redemption and the story of the universe. It means that you are not simply a pawn in a larger game. It means you're more than simply an animal. You are more than just a thing in this big universe that has no purpose and just happens to be. No, it means you have value. It means you matter. It means there is significance to your existence, that you are important. Dignity means that just by virtue of you being an image bearer of the creator means that you are worthy of honor and respect. The fact that you image God means that no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter if you are a hot mess, no matter if you've made every mistake in the book, by virtue of the one whose image you bear means you deserve honor and respect. Worth. You have worth, as Ephesians 2 reminds us, you are created as a masterpiece. Your design and everything about you is worth more than all the riches of the world. We actually have a price tag on humanity. We know exactly what you're worth to God. You are worth the blood and life of his son. God did not give his son for animals. God did not even give his son for fallen angels. He only gave his son for humanity who bears his image. Your worth, despite your brokenness, is of infinite value. And your worth is inextricably tied to your bearing the image and likeness of God. Finally, on the theological side of this, I want you to understand a little bit of the timeline of of kind of how the image of God is taking place in us. We kind of think about it in four steps or four stages. First, the image of God is created in us, right? So we just read that in Genesis 1, God created us in his image. And back then, when when we were in the garden, we imaged God perfectly. You saw us, and you saw the radiance and glory and splendor and majesty of God in the face of a human. But then that image is broken. When Adam and Eve sin and rebel against God, in that moment, the image of God in them is distorted. We have to be clear, though, that it's not lost. 
They don't cease to be in the image of God when sin enters the world. Simply, it is now perverted or distorted. It is messed up. So we still see the image of God in us today, but we see the image of God unclearly. It is distorted. It is like looking in a mirror that is hazy or dirty. You see yourself, but there's missing pieces or they're fuzzy pieces. Or it's like me, or it's like looking in a, in a mirror without your glasses on. Like right now, I can pretty much tell you're all humans, but I couldn't tell you that that was anybody on this front row. I can't see. That's how bad my vision is. I can tell there are people sitting here, but I can't tell you much else about them. And so seeing the image of God is like that. You can tell, but it's still really blurry. And it's not the full picture of what it was supposed to be. Sin has distorted and perverted the image of God in us. But then the image is being restored. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one decree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. When we come to Christ, the Spirit takes up residence within us, and we begin a process called sanctification, where God is restoring to us the perfect creation He made us to be. He is restoring His image in us. So the longer someone follows Jesus, the, le- the more and more the mirror gets undirty, gets cleaned up. The clearer the picture gets, until we more and more reflect who Jesus, who God is. Never going to be perfectly reflecting God, but it gets clearer and clearer. And finally, one day the image will be fully restored. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. On that day when freed from sinning, when we are resurrected from the dead and we are made whole again, on that day we will be the spitting image of our Father. We will, be, we will perfectly reflect the image of God as we were always meant to. Jesus in the gospel says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in the same way, on that day when you see us, you will see the Father. You will, we will perfectly reflect who he is. So this means that everyone, Christians, non-Christians, Good people, not really such a thing, but good people, bad people, everyone, every human is created in the image of God. And that image may be very blurry, maybe more blurry for some people, but it's there. And that means every person has value, dignity, and worth. So next, what I want to do is look at how did the biblical, biblical authors apply this doctrine? How did they take this idea and apply it to, to, to our lives, to their lives in the text? I want to look at three examples before we ask the question, okay, how do we apply this today for us? So first, the second of the Ten Commandments says that we shall have no graven images. That is, we are not to make any statues or figures or, or big, you know, big things that are to look like an idol or a reflection or an image of who God is. This was super popular back in the day. Everyone had their gods and everyone had statues and idols of their gods, and it's still popular among many religions today. But why is it that the author, Moses, tells us that we are not to have any graven images? Why does God give that decree in the Ten Commandments? Because God 
has already made an image. And he made an image far better than we could ever make of himself. He made his image in us. He doesn't leave that task up to us for us to get it wrong. He decided what he was and what he was like and what he was going to reveal, and he chose to image himself through humanity. And so don't make any graven images because I've already made it. Look around you and see me in people. And so we first see that this doctrine is applied spiritually. It's applied spiritually. Second, the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments tells us not to murder. Well, why not? Should we not murder just because God decided murder was bad? That it's, or is it a practical law? Like, hey, look, I don't want to be murdered, so like, let's just make a rule. I won't murder you, you don't murder me, and we'll all live happily ever after. Is it, is it kind of a practical thing? And why, why is this? And why is it only murder when we kill humans? Why is it not murder when, when Tyler shoots a deer? Look at Genesis 9-6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see, God is making the point through Moses that murder is wrong because in killing someone you are destroying the image of God. Killing another human is, is, is wrong because in the killing you destroy the image of God. And to speak again to your value and worth as an image bearer, God lays out that whoever destroys the image of God should be punished. Right? And here, back in the day, it was, it was capital punishment. And this punishment, this justice brings value to the victim. Right? We don't punish people when they run over possums. Right? We just go, oh, here's another one. We don't care. Some of us kind of like it because they're gross. We don't punish people for running over possums, but we do punish people, even if they accidentally run over a human. Because in the punishment, it gives value and worth to the victim. The Bible applies this doctrine of the image of God, and that we should do no physical harm, specifically killing. There are all kinds of implications there about the preservation of human life, that human life itself is valuable, because in death, the image of God is destroyed. And so they, the biblical authors apply this doctrine physically. They do it spiritually and they do it physically. Now look at James. We'll go to the New Testament. James 3, 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. See, James argues that we should not use our tongues or our words to hurt people, to tear them down, to, to curse them, but to bless them. And why? On what does he hinge that argument? He hinges that argument on the reality that people are created in God's likeness, in God's image. And so be careful by how you use your tongue toward other people because they are image bearers of God. You know the old nursery rhyme that says, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Whoever wrote that had his head in the sand because physical wounds, every physical wound I've ever had, broken bones, Gashed open arm from a four-wheeler accident to a barbed wire fence. Back, don't, don't, they don't mix. Every physical wound I've ever had healed. Got better. Don't think about it anymore. 
but the, wor- the emotional wounds from sharp tongues, from quick words, destroy your very soul. And words spoken years and years and years ago, ago still haunt me and ache at my soul. And I know that's true for you too. Words matter. Words cut deeper than any sword could ever cut. And so how you speak to people, how you speak about people matter. Words are powerful. And the way we speak to and of image bearers matters, James says. So not only do physical health matter, but emotional health matters. Hurting someone with your words is wrong because it hurts an image bearer. So we see this doctrine applied spiritually, physically, and then finally they apply it emotionally. So how should we continue to apply it today? How do we think about this this doctrine today? I want to give you three quick practical applications. Three things that I think are good questions to ask yourself as you think about how you interact with, how you think about, how you talk about other people in particular. Particularly people that are not like you. People who are different than you, right? Because it is the people who are like us, it is the people who have the same political leaning, the people who look like us, the people who live like us, the people who enjoy the same things we enjoy, the people who believe like we do, those people are easy to value. Those people are easy to love, easy to care for, easy to treat with dignity and respect and honor and kindness. But it is precisely those who look different, believe different, think different who are sometimes a little harder to think of well, to speak of with dignity, to care for. Right? It's easy for you Bengals fans to love other Bengals fans. But it's really hard for you Bengals fans to speak with dignity of Steelers fans. (laughs) I get it. It's hard. And I know we don't want to believe it, but Steelers fans are made in the image of God too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's one amongst us. That's the way this matters. So three quick questions to ask about particular people who are different than you. See if you're treating them like they're in the image of God. Number one, are you treating people based on their value to you or their value as image bearers? Do you treat people based on their value to you or simply based on their value as image bearers? Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in the good place. Well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You know, there are times when we give our attention and our focus, our time to, to those people who, who, by being connected to them, they do something for us. Right? We give our time, our attention, our focus to people, and, and, and they're really, they're doing something for us, and so we give our time to them. Right? Sometimes they just make us feel better, and they're our friends, right? we like spending time with them, it makes us feel good. Sometimes we give our time and energy to a person because their connections will help us. Or maybe at work, their connections will advance you in some way. Or maybe being around them or being connected to them make you feel important. And it makes you feel smart. Being around them increases your status or reputation. Maybe you like being around the popular people. 
You get some benefit from them. That's exactly what James is saying not to do. You know, if some nice-looking family comes walking into church and they're all dressed well and they look good and they look like they got some money and they look put together and you look like you could be friends with them and you run up to them and you, and you greet them, how's it going? Well, God, glad, let's come over here and great to have you and, you and you do it all up for them and you make them feel welcome and great. But then that, family, that other family comes in and it looks like they ain't bathed in a few days and one's got a tall sock on, one's got a little sock on, right? And they don't, they're not matching. Those are my kids, by the way. So they come in and, 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 and you know, they're, they're running through the church and, and, and they're hooping and hollering and, 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 and they just look disheveled. And you kind of like step back and go, y'all hurry up. Get through here. You have treated these two families based on the value they give to you and not the value they intrinsically have as image bearers of God. To close the gap in our doctrine of the image of God, we have to treat every human with the value or the importance they instinctively have as image bearers. You are important to us as you come here, not because of what you contribute, not because of how much money you can give, not because of how much time you can give, not because of any of that. You're valuable here because you're made in the image of God. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. And so you belong to our family. And that's all the value we need. So we don't make these distinctions. So ask the question, are you treating people based on the value they bring to you or on the value they have as image bearers? Second question. Are you speaking to and of people with dignity or with disdain? Are you speaking to and of people with dignity or disdain? And I think this one probably is the hardest for us, especially not the way we speak to people, because we can be really fake and speak to people in a kind way, but how we speak about people when they're not around. James told us that our words matter and how we speak to people matter. How we speak of people matter, when they're not around or when they're around. How we think about and treat image bearers matters. We should be the people who are known by our love for even our enemies, right? The world should see us acting like Jesus. We should be the ones eating meals with the sort of people that make everyone else do double takes. Why are you hanging out with them? I thought you were conservative. Don't you know they're a liberal? Why are you eating with that person? Why are you hanging out with them? When other people hear you speak about those who are different than you, are your words sweet like honey, uplifting, caring, kind, and gentle? Even when you are expressing your disagreement about someone, what they did or what they believe, do you speak of them as if they have personhood, as if they are, have dignity in the image of God, or do you curse them and mock them and disgrace them? Our doctrine of the image of God of the Imago Dei tells us that we should speak of people with dignity even if we disagree with everything they stand for, everything they believe in, everything they do, they bear God's image. And that means they're deserving of honor, respect, dignity. So, are you speaking to enough people with dignity or with disdain? And three, are you giving people what they're worth? Are you giving people what they're worth? When God looked upon us, even in our sin, even in our mess, our disgrace, we were still worth the blood of the Son of God, the death of the Son of God. We were worth infinite worth. 
He pays this price for us. And when we have the opportunity to serve others, to die to ourselves, to give others, as God would call us to, to give us to other people, sometimes we think, oh, they're not worthy of my time. They're not worthy of my effort. They're not worthy of my energy. When people need you, do you think they are not worth your effort or your help or your charity? Do you think of them, you know what, they just need to work harder. They need to do better. They need to find someone else to help. They're not worthy of my time. I'm too important. You see people worthy of your time, worthy of your help, worthy of your charity and friendship. I'm not going to tell you who this is, but this past year we had somebody working in our four-year-old classroom. And if you've ever worked in, in kids' stuff, you know that the four-year-old classroom is pretty challenging. Whoever came up with the phrase terrible twos hadn't had a four-year-old yet. And that class gets full, and there's a lot of them, and it's just a little crazy. And so this person was feeling a little exhausted, a little frustrated, a little just kind of over it, thought they weren't contributing, weren't helping, just hard. Well, then the Lord kind of convicted this person and kind of worked on their heart and, and said, they said, you know what? I am not treating these four-year-olds as if they're valuable. I am not treating these four-year-olds as if they're worth my time. I'm just frustrated with them all the time. I'm not treating them as if they have value. I think somebody else should handle them. But in reality, it's me who is God has put here for them at this time because they are valuable and they're worth my time. No matter how crazy and exhausting they are. There are and will always be people in your life that you're just over you're just tired of, or you just don't have time for them. Not that you don't have time, that's a different issue, but that you don't have time for them. Challenge yourself to see them, not as the headache or just as the mistakes they've made, but see them as image bearers of God with value, dignity, and worth. And sometimes, sometimes, and this is true for a lot of things, sometimes you've got to just Act first and let your heart follow. Sometimes you just got to do the thing you know you're supposed to do and don't want to do and let your heart catch up with your hand, right? Sometimes you're like, I don't want to go in that four-year-old class. I don't want to show up to church. I don't want to go help Brent move these picnic tables, which I'm going to ask you all to do after the service. I don't, <laughs> plug, I don't, I don't want to do this or that. But sometimes I just got to let my feet take me where I know I need to go and let my feelings and my heart catch up. Image bearers are worth your time, are worth your effort, are worth your money, and are worth your heart. And so give yourself to them. So are you treating people based on their value to you or their value as image bearers? Are you speaking to and of people with dignity or with, this, with disdain? Are you giving people what they're worth? I hope that these three helpful questions will be challenges to you to live out this doctrine, to live out this belief. And as I said, it's, it's easy to value people. It's easy to give value and worth toward those people who, who look like you, who think like you, who believe like you, live like you. It is those that are different that we have trouble with. And so as we, as we kind of wrap up, I want to give you some categories of people. That if you're like me, you have probably spoken ill of these, maybe mocked these, joked about these, rebuffed these turned your nose up at these, or in some way have not treated them with 
dignity as image bearers. So some examples of people that challenge yourself to apply this doctrine to. And look, I can mention there are tons of examples the way we could apply this. I could, for example, talk about how this doctrine uh, applies to our advocacy for the unborn. But y'all know that, right? That's not helpful. All right, y'all got to walk out here with your toes feeling a little stepped on. So I'm just going to give you two categories that I think are probably the hardest for us. And I know they're the hardest for me to think about applying this doctrine to. Number one, your political opposites. Notice I did not say political opponents or political enemies because they are not those things. Whoever is the opposite of your politics, they might have, in your opinion, really, really bad ideas. They might, in your opinion, have really, really bad opinions, really, really bad policy ideas. They might be corrupt or even immoral. And it is okay to rebuke those things, to call those things out, and we should do so by attacking the opinion, the policy, the actions, and, in, and do so without degrading the humanity of the person. A friend of mine was telling me about how his family, when they get together to, to shoot, they got a range at their house, they go shoot guns and stuff and have fun, and they don't just put up, you know, bullseye targets or whatever, they put up uh, political posters of the politicians they don't like. And, and practiced shooting the heads off of, you know, whoever. You can imagine which side of the aisle they're on and who they're shooting at. I'll let y'all interpret that. But Christians, we have to do better than that. We cannot like whoever, president or whoever, whoever, because they don't have the same opinions as we do. But we cannot treat image bearers of God with such disdain and anger particularly to a watching world that we're trying to convince that Christianity is the answer, that Christianity makes sense of the world, that Christianity is the only hope that we have in life and death, that Christianity is the right thing to do for all people, and it brings value, dignity, and worth in people. Why would they believe that when we shoot off the heads of people we don't like their political opinion? We have to do better. Second, we have to, people who are different than you, now, I made this kind of a broad heading because I've got a few things in mind here. For some of you, this might be people of a different skin color. For some of you, it might be people from another country or another culture or people who are immigrants. Or if for some of you, it might be people who are, are different on a, some, some special needs spectrum. However different someone is to you does not decrease their value. It just makes them different. In the past, I've been really guilty of this. In my younger years, I was really guilty of, of making fun of, of speaking light of, of thinking less of people from different cultures. Growing up in the South, you think that everyone should like uh, bluegrass music, biscuits and gravy, and drink sweet tea. And anybody who doesn't is just weird. Amen? No, we can't amen that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and so you think anybody who doesn't do those things are odd. You look at Yankees and you make fun of northern people because they, they just don't get it. You make fun of people uh, across the ocean because they dress weird and talk weird. And you just think by nature that they're less intelligent than you. And so I really get this one. And it took God putting me in a situation where I was at a lunch every week with about 50 people from all over the world, an international lunch with, of college students from Iran and Afghanistan and China and Nepal and, and all in India and, and all these places. All these, and they were so different from me culture. They dressed different. They talked different. But I realized in having all these conversations with them, they're just people. They're just people. 
who have hopes and dreams and worries and loves and fears and ideas and were often much smarter than me. They're image bearers, even if they don't like sweet tea, even if they drink unsweet tea, which I don't get, but they're image bearers. We have to think of them that way. When we think about the race problem, we can see how the church has done great work over the centuries. You think about William Wilberforce and others who have advocated to the government for, to make slavery illegal. But we also see a history in the church that is done poorly. We, see, we can see pictures of churches full of Klan members. And so as we press forward, we have to be the people who show the world that everyone, no matter the color of their skin, their tribe, language, their culture, that they have value because of the image in which they bear. LGBTQ issues are not going away. And we have to learn to do this really difficult dance of maintaining the orthodox biblical position that homosexuality is a sin against God's good design, while also not bashing, being hateful uh, toward those who embrace that lifestyle. We have to love them and care for them and value them as image bearers, while also maintaining that they're going against the way God designed things, and it's harmful for them, and it's not good. And that's not easy to do. That's a hard balance and dance to play. We have to figure it out. We have to stop treating people as if homosexuality is their biggest problem and start treating people that their unwillingness to bow their knees to Jesus is their biggest problem. That they're image bearers who are more complex than just their particular sin problems, just like you as an image bearer, are much more complex than your sin problem. That doesn't mean we don't call it a sin. That doesn't mean we don't call people to repentance because we do. But it means we can do so without being hateful. We have to treat people who are different than us, who look, act, believe, think, have different values than us. We have to treat them as the image bearers they are with value, dignity, and worth. And realize that we image God more clearly. We image God more perfectly when we love image bearers despite our differences. We could talk all day long about this doctrine and the way it affects the way we advocate for or think differently about issues. We could talk about the unborn. We could talk about women. We could talk about gun violence, drug abuse, domestic abuse, war, violence, bullying, immigration, pornography. The list goes on and on. The image of God applies to all of these things, how we think about, how we advocate for, and how we change what we think and what we do based on this doctrine. But let me leave you with this thought. Jesus came. And he modeled for us what it means to image God perfectly. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He shows us exactly what God is like. He cared and served the least of these. He had meals with prostitutes and sinners. The people that were the lowest of the low, the degraded, the ones that everyone thought you should get rid of, despised. Instead, he shared bread with them. And he served them. He washed their feet. He forgave his enemies. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed and forgave those who would torture him and kill him. He gave his life. And in so doing, the image of God was destroyed. So that the image of God in us might be healed. Jesus came and he did all that in order that he might make a world where the image bearers like us no longer look like a muddy, old, dingy mirror, poorly reflecting God's awesome character, but to make a world 
where we shine bright as the sun, reflecting God perfectly, caring, serving, loving, giving ourselves to everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation. We come to make, he came to make a perfect world and a perfect people. But we're not there yet. But by his grace, we'll get there soon. But until that day, it is our task to treat every image bearer the way Jesus did, by giving our lives for them, by treating them with value, dignity, and worth, and by showing them Jesus is the only way to be made new. That's why, as a church, we have core values, and one of them is everyone is valuable. Everyone is valuable, regardless of how much money they make, regardless of the color of their skin, Regardless of how old or young they are, everyone comes in here with, and they bring value. Because they're made in God's image. And we want you. You know, I've never seen George Washington. Surprise. But I see his image every time I actually have a dollar. And I use it. Many people have never seen God. But they have seen his image. They see his image every time they see you. And my hope and prayer is that every time they see you, they see God more clearly because you image God a little more clearly than everyone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that in your good designs, in your creation of the world, you chose to bestow your image or likeness on us. And that even though we would throw that away, even though we would not care and want to do our own thing, even though we would mess it up, you still see us of, of having such worth that you would send your only son to bear the sins of the world in his own body, that you might make us whole and new and right again. So God, for those in this room who are not a part of this story yet, so that the image in them is just broken. The image in them is just distorted and, and it is not on a trajectory of being made whole. God, for those people who don't know you as king or lord and don't understand the world you're making, you show them this morning that you are inviting them into a story where they can be made new and live happily ever after. You give them the courage to come talk to me or somebody else and, and figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Give your life to him. And in so doing, find life itself. And Father, for those of us in this room who do follow Jesus, would you help us to, to image him more clearly? Help us to model him more clearly so that when the world sees us, they see a better picture of you. Father, help us to value, give dignity to, and worth to every person, regardless of how we see them, think about them, think about their opinions or their values or their thoughts. Help us to show value and worth and dignity because they bear your image, our Savior's image. God, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, let's stand and sing.